0: Hi, I'm Emily Padgett. This is Century 21. Welcome to part two of breaking down the Zuckerberg congressional hearing. I got some great feedback on the first installment of this series, and I'm really glad people are learning stuff. I definitely have been, and we're in for another 20 or so minutes of learning more about everyone's favorite social medium. Here's a quick recap of what we learned last week. In 2014, Alexander Kogan sold the private data of millions of Facebook users to Cambridge Analytica, which then used that information to help political campaigns. Kogan was banned from Facebook, his app was shut down, and Cambridge Analytica wrongly informed Facebook that the improperly obtained data had been destroyed. Facebook does not sell user data, but rather shares it with advertisers, who then pay Facebook to use the site for their ads, but no selling of the data itself is involved. Facebook users theoretically dictate who they are sharing their information with via their sharing settings, but completely privatizing user data is likely impossible or improbable. Facebook isn't certain if there are any more Cambridge Analytica's out there, but it's doing an investigation of all third-party apps to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And lastly, we learned there should definitely be regulations on social media companies. If you haven't listened to the first installment of this series yet, I'd go and give at least the first part a listen, so you have a better idea of the context of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and the privacy concerns that that relationship has sparked. So let's dive right in. We left off right before Representative Elliot Engel got his chance to ask some questions. His questions were pretty short, but important, I think. The first one was whether or not Facebook is planning on suing Alexander Kogan, or Cambridge University, which is the university where Kogan was working at the time of the data scraping, or Cambridge Analytica itself. Zuckerberg responded that while Facebook had already banned Kogan from the platform, they are also looking into Cambridge University. There are other researchers there who had been doing similar research, although to Zuckerberg's knowledge, no other researchers had sold any of their data, research and building apps similar to Your Digital Life, which is the one that Kogan had made. But Facebook is looking at Cambridge University to see, in Zuckerberg's words, whether there was something bad going on overall at Cambridge University. The next question was this.
1: You mentioned before in your remarks hate speech. We've seen the scale and reach of extremism balloon in the last decade, uh, partially uh, because of the expansion of social platforms. Are you aware of any foreign or domestic terrorist organizations, hate groups, criminal networks or other extremist networks that have scraped Facebook user data? And if they
2: have, and if they do it in the future, how would you go about getting it back or deleting it? Congressman, we are not aware of any specific groups like that that have have engaged in this. Uh, We are, as I've said, conducting a full investigation of any apps that had access to a large amount of data. And if we find anything suspicious, we'll tell everyone affected. We do not allow hate groups on Facebook overall, so uh, if, if there's a group that uh, their primary purpose or, or a large part of what they do is spreading hate, we will ban them from the platform overall.
1: So do you adjust your, uh, your uh, algorithms to prevent individuals interest, interested in violence or nefarious activities
2: from being connected with other like-minded individuals? Congressman, yes. That's certainly an important thing that, that we need to do.
0: I'm not going to examine his phrasing of that answer. That's an important thing that we need to do. But I'm just hoping that they're adjusting those algorithms already. Engel's last question was about Russia.
1: Many of us are very uh, angry about Russian influence in in the 2016 presidential elections and Russian influence over our
0: presidential elections. Let's understand real quick what he's referencing before we let him finish the question. So back in October 2016, the U.S. government stated that it was confident that Russia had hacked the Democratic National Committee and other political groups of the Democratic Party. This was the first time that the United States had officially accused Russia of ever corrupting U.S. political systems. This hacking included alleged hacked emails, which were leaked on websites like WikiLeaks, and the theft traced back to an online persona called Guccifer 2.0. The United States government said that these activities line up with, quote, the methods and motivations of Russian directed efforts, end quote and that they were intended to mess with the U.S. election process. Russia rejected these accusations, accusing hackers of United States origin of similarly infiltrating Vladimir Putin's website. In addition to this alleged hack of the DNC, there's apparently also evidence that there are connections between so-called troll farms, which spread fake news about Hillary Clinton and the Russian government. The troll farms didn't spread fake news about the Russian government, they were connected to the Russian government. The U.S. Republican National Committee stated that their systems were not hacked, but individual staffers' accounts were breached. How does this link to Facebook? Well, it found that thousands of divisive political ads on Facebook had been bought by fake accounts linked back to the Russian government. These advertisements came up in people's Facebook feeds, a place where, nowadays, many people get their primary news and information. So back to the question at hand, one, mind you, that was met with many whispers from others in the room.
1: Does Facebook have the ability to detect when a foreign entity is attempting to buy a political ad? And is that process automated? Do you have procedures in place to inform key government players when a foreign entity is attempting to buy a political ad or
2: when it might be taking other steps to interfere in an election? Congressman, yes, this is an extremely important area. After we were slow to identify the Russian information operations in 2016, This has become a top priority for our company to prevent that from ever happening again, especially this year in 2018, which is such an important election year with the U.S. midterms, but also major elections in India, Brazil, Mexico, uh, Hungary, Pakistan, and a number of other places. So we're doing a number of things uh, that, that that I'm happy to talk about or follow up with afterwards around deploying new AI tools that can proactively catch Uh, fake accounts that Russia or others might create to spread misinformation."
0: This might sound like a bit much, but Zuckerberg goes on to explain that Facebook has already started utilizing these new tools and artificial intelligence in other elections that have taken place since the 2016 U.S. presidential election, such as the French presidential election, the German election, and the Alabama special election for U.S. Senate. Apparently those all worked great. According to Zuckerberg, the AI tools took down tens of thousands of fake accounts that could have been trying to do similar activity, like purchasing divisive political advertisements. The next question we'll talk about comes from Representative Gene Green, who brings up Facebook's compliance with the General Data Protection Regulation which is a part of European Union law that deals with the regulation of data protection and privacy for everyone within the EU. The main goal of this regulation is to give control back to individuals over their personal data, and it affects Facebook by largely opening its doors for more privacy on the part of the Facebook user. A regional court in Berlin, Germany, found that Facebook doesn't provide enough information for its users for them to give meaningful consent. In other words, checking the I agree to terms and conditions button, to Facebook's use of their personal data. Some grievances that they had with the site include on the mobile app, quote, ticks were already placed in boxes that allowed search engines to link to the user's timeline. This means that anyone could quickly and easily find personal Facebook profiles, end quote. So long story short, Facebook is adjusting its terms of service for users in the EU so it can fit within the law. So Representative Green asked Zuckerberg if Facebook is adjusting its terms of service to allow the same level of privacy protection for Facebook users in the United States. Zuckerberg responded that yes, they are extending their adjusted terms to the rest of the world. But Green elaborated.
1: The GDPR requires that the company's request for user consent to be requested in a clear and concise way using language that is understandable and be clearly distinguishable from other pieces of information, including terms and conditions. How will that requirement be implemented in the United States?
2: Congressman, we're going to put at the top of everyone's app when they sign in a tool that walks people through the settings and gives people the choices and and asks them to make decisions on, on how they want their settings set.
0: You may not know this, but Facebook allows each user, in the US at least, to download their Facebook data. Green's next question asks if the download file includes all the information Facebook has collected about a given individual, if there's any information accessible to Facebook that the user wouldn't be able to see in that file. Zuckerberg responds that users would be able to see all the information Facebook has ever collected about them in that file, and that they will be implementing a similar data downloading feature into their plan to meet the GDPR's data portability requirement. If you want to download your Facebook data, by the way, here's how. On your desktop computer, go to your Facebook page. In the top right-hand corner, there's a little drop-down arrow. Click that and go to Settings. Under General Account Settings, click Download a copy of your Facebook data, and then click Start My Archive. If you want to see if Facebook has stored your credit card information, click Settings, and then Payments. Representative Marsha Blackburn brought up something that I think is worth mentioning, which is the Browser Act. If you haven't heard of this yet, that's okay. It was only just recently introduced. This bipartisan bill allows the Federal Trade Commission, which aims to ensure consumer protection to create fair competition, to enforce information privacy protections on internet services or websites or mobile apps. It would force any of these platforms to require users to opt in to consent for the use of sensitive information like financial or health info, social security numbers, information about children under 13, browsing history, and location. If users opt out of the use of such information, the online platform cannot use it. Essentially, as Representative Blackburn says, one set of rules for the entire online ecosystem. Like I mentioned, the bill has only just been introduced, so there's still a bit of a ways to go on that one, but I think it sounds pretty fair. There wasn't really a question associated with her mention of the Browser Act, aside from urging him to read and comply with the details of the privacy legislation. The Browser Act or something similar would be pretty huge. So far, the only regulation in social media has been, effectively, self-regulation. Which leads into the next question by Representative Diana DeGetti. She starts by noting that since the news broke about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, Facebook has not noticed a significant increase in users deactivating their accounts. They also haven't noticed a decrease in user interaction on Facebook. She then lists a series of lawsuits dealing with Facebook privacy concerns. The first, Lane v. Facebook, which was settled in 2010. This lawsuit concerned Beacon, which was part of Facebook's advertising system implemented in 2007. Beacon sent data from external websites back to Facebook for purposes of targeted advertising. In doing so, the system would non-consensually report to Facebook its users' activities on third-party sites that also participated with Beacon and posted these activities on users' Facebook timelines. The primary concern here was that there was no opt-out of the Beacon system and Facebook users didn't have control over what Facebook knew about their web browsing outside of Facebook. I'll be honest, I'm not sure how this is different from how Facebook does targeted advertising today, aside from the publishing online activity to the timeline part. It all sounds pretty familiar to what Facebook uses now for its targeted advertising with outside websites, which we talked about in the last episode. My guess is that it's primarily different because now you can opt out of that feature. By the way, if you want to turn off targeted advertising based on external website use or adjust any ad settings, do this, go to your settings page, click ads in the left sidebar, scroll down to ad preferences and adjust to your heart's desire. You can also see what kind of a person Facebook thinks you are in this section. Definitely give it a look if you have a few minutes. Anyway, back to the court case. As part of the settlement, Facebook terminated Beacon and set up an independent $9.5 nonprofit foundation that identifies and funds initiatives to promote online privacy and security. There wasn't any money awarded to Facebook users who were negatively affected by the Beacon program. Representative DeJetty brought up a second case, Fraley vs. Facebook, which was also a privacy case, this time dealing with the use of Facebook users' names and likenesses in so-called sponsored stories. With sponsored stories, advertisers pay to highlight an action that users have already taken on Facebook or a Facebook-affiliated app. This action is then shown to a user's friends, and it can't be shown outside of the user's friends on Facebook. This is sort of hard to explain, so here's an example. You're friends with Jane on Facebook, and she made a post checking in at Starbucks today. If this is a sponsored story, there will be a link to the main Starbucks Facebook page attached to your friend's post, as well as a caption that says Sponsored Story. This was upsetting to people because they were being used for advertising purposes without their consent, and also without getting paid a dime. In settling the case, checks amounting to $15 were distributed to affected parties, and Facebook agreed to adjust the terms of sponsored stories to give users more control over how their name and likeness is used, as well as include in the terms of service that it's possible that your name and likeness will be used in this way. When Representative Jetty brought up both of these cases, Lane v. Facebook and Fraley v. Facebook, Zuckerberg said that he wasn't familiar with either of them, contesting that his team briefs him on matters like these, but he's not directly involved. He did know, however, of the 2011 Federal Trade Commission investigation into Facebook's privacy policy. This investigation, in Zuckerberg's words, is, quote, extremely important to how they run the company, end quote but Representative DeJetty had a point in bringing up all of these matters. The reason I'm asking these questions, sir, is because um, we continue to have these abuses and these data breaches, But at the same time, it doesn't seem like future activities are prevented. And so I think one of the things that we need to look at in the future as we work with you
1: and others in the industry is putting really robust penalties in place in case
0: of of, um, improper actions. And that's why I ask these questions.
3: The
0: next question comes from Representative Steve Scalis. This is another one about Facebook's alleged political bias, a thought that's come up in the banning of politically conservative pages, such as Diamond and Silk, a pro-Trump YouTube personality duo.
3: Getting into this this new realm of content review, I know some of the people that work for Facebook, Campbell Brown said, for example, this is changing our relationship with publishers and emphasizing something that Facebook has never done before. It's having a point of view. I do wanna ask you about a study that was done uh, dealing with the algorithm that Facebook uses to describe uh, what is fed to people through the news feed. And what they found was, after this new algorithm was implemented, uh, that there was a tremendous bias against conservative news and content and a favorable bias towards liberal content. And if you can look at that, that shows a 16 point disparity, which is concerning. Uh, I would imagine you're not gonna wanna share the algorithm itself with us. I'd encourage if you wanted to do that, but uh, who
0: develops the algorithm? Zuckerberg agrees that this is an important question.
2: There is absolutely no directive in any of the changes that we make to have a bias in anything that we do. To the contrary, Our goal is to be a platform for all ideas. And And I I know
3: we're we're almost out of time. So if you can go back and look and determine if there was a bias, whoever developed that software, you have 20,000 people that work on uh, some of this uh, data analysis. If you can look and see if there is a bias and let us know if there is and what you're doing about it, because that is disturbing when you see that kind of disparity.
0: There were several questions in this hour of the hearing regarding Facebook's subjection to a 20-year consent decree with the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, that I mentioned earlier. For some backstory on this, in 2011, the FTC took fault with Facebook's promise to keep user data private citing that, while Facebook had assured users that third-party apps only had access to limited amounts of their information, the minimum amount to function, these applications had access to almost all of users' personal data. In the agreement Facebook entered with the FTC, Facebook is required to get consent from users before sharing their data with third parties to establish what's called a comprehensive privacy program that addresses privacy risks in Facebook's products and to have another non-Facebook party conduct audits every two years for the next 20 years to make sure that this program is effective. Several representatives were concerned about the Cambridge Analytica breach in spite of this consent agreement, and how there seems to be a trust gap in what Facebook says it's doing in terms of auditing app developers and what it's actually doing. Zuckerberg upholds that Facebook reviews tens of thousands of apps a year and has taken action against a number of them. But in a case similar to Cambridge Analytica, it's difficult to catch a developer who has sold user data to a third party without Facebook's knowledge. He elaborates on Facebook's process of investigating apps. By the way, API stands for Application Program Interface, which is a set of routines and tools for building software apps.
2: There are tens of thousands of apps that had access to a large amount of people's information before we lock down the platform in 2014. We're going to do an investigation that first involves looking at their patterns of API access and what those companies were doing. And then if we find anything suspicious, then we're going to bring in third-party auditors to go through their technical and physical systems to understand what they did. And if they we find that they misused any data, then we'll ban them from our platform, make sure they delete the data, and tell everyone affected.
0: Representative Robert Latta responds.
2: Just to follow up on that then, how long would it take to
1: then to investigate each of those apps once you're doing that? Because again, when you're talking about tens of thousands and you're going through that entire process then, how long would it take to go through each one of those apps?
2: Yes, Congressman, it's going to take many months to do this full process. Okay. It's going to be an expensive process with a lot of auditors, but we think that this is the right thing to do at this point. You know, before we'd thought that when developers told us that they weren't going to sell data, that that was, that that was a good representation. But one of the big lessons that we've learned here is that clearly we cannot just take developer's word for it. We need to go and enforce that. Okay.
0: Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers raised a question about how Facebook treats and uses the content posted to its platform. Rogers asked, quote, Given the extensive reach of Facebook and its widespread use as a tool of public expression, do you think Facebook has a unique responsibility to ensure that it has clear standards regarding the censorship of content on its platform? End quote. She also asked if Zuckerberg believes Facebook makes it clear what these standards are for its users. Zuckerberg's response effectively details that he's concerned Facebook is not doing a good enough job of outlining what the content policies and community standards are. He cites that, Though Facebook is based in the United States, 90% of Facebook users are located out of the US, where social norms and cultures may be different.
2: It's not clear to me that our current situation of how we define community standards is going to be effective for articulating that around the world. So we're looking at different ways to evolve that, and I think that this is one of the more important things that we will do.
0: This next question isn't necessarily about privacy concerns, but I'd still like to mention it, and I'm glad it was brought up at the hearing. Representative G.K. Butterfield brought up issues that Facebook and others in its industry have had regarding diversity in the workplace. Facebook has apparently had several diversity initiatives. For example, in 2017, Facebook increased its Black representation in the workplace from 2 to 3%. In the words of Representative Butterfield, this is a small increase, but better than none. But obviously, it doesn't fit the definition of building a racially diverse working community. He elaborates,
1: CEO leadership, and I've found this to be absolutely true, CEO leadership on issues of diversity is the only way that the technology industry will change. So will you commit, sir, uh, to uh, convene personally, convene a meeting of CEOs in in your sectors, many of them, them, all of them, perhaps, are your friends, and to do this very quickly to develop a strategy to increase racial diversity in the technology industry.
0: Representative Butterfield references Facebook's website, where it lists five company leaders, none of which is African-American, which clearly doesn't reflect the United States. In addition, he mentions that, quote, companies failure to retain black employees contributes to their low presence at technology companies and there's little transparency in retention numbers, end quote. Butterfield urges Zuckerberg to provide numbers on Facebook's retention of employees broken down by race and their diversity updates. Zuckerberg agrees. Let's go on to the last question for this episode. It's by Representative Doris Matsui, who raises the issue of who actually owns user data and content. Does the individual, in this case, the Facebook user, or does Facebook? Or does a third party app or some combination of the three? And what if the data has been supplemented by a data broker, an assumption that an algorithm has made about that user?
2: Congresswoman, I believe that people own all of their own content. Where this gets complicated is, let's say I Take a photo, and I share it with you. Now, is that my photo, or is it your photo? I I would take the position that it's our photo, which is why we make it so that um, you can't bring, it's that I can bring that that photo to another app if I want, um, but you can't.
0: To clarify what Zuckerberg just said, if I share a photo I took to a platform like Facebook, it doesn't belong to Facebook, it belongs to me so I can bring the photo to another app if I want, but Facebook can't. This turns into an advertising question. So I put my photo up on Facebook with a caption. Theoretically, Facebook doesn't own that photo, I do, so Facebook shouldn't be able to take it and do something else with it, like showing it to advertisers. Representative Matsui is concerned that Facebook is improperly using user content, and it's making money off of the advertising based on that content. But Zuckerberg argues, no, it's not improper use of user content. He cites that users want to see ads that are relevant to them if they're going to see them at all. And besides, they have complete control over what content is used for advertising as they post the content in the first place. You might have noticed some of these questions are repeats or elaborations of previous questions, but I think many of them are important to revisit as the answers often open up on more information. Regardless, this is pretty convoluted stuff, so thanks for sticking around and learning with me. Here's what we learned in this hour of the hearing. Facebook is not aware of hate groups scraping data in a way similar to Alexander Kogan and Cambridge Analytica. It's believed that Russia-linked individuals utilized Facebook to spread fake news and purchase divisive advertisements on the platform during the 2016 presidential election. Facebook has created AI tools to take down similar fake accounts and have found success with them in other elections since 2016. Facebook is expanding privacy adjustments to its terms of service under the General Data Protection Regulation to the United States and the rest of the world. We learned it's possible to download all the data Facebook has collected about you, so you can see what they see. It's also possible to adjust settings for targeted advertising. There have been several lawsuits against Facebook in the past 10 years and issues of privacy protection. Zuckerberg contests that there's no directive in any algorithmic changes to develop a bias against certain ideas. Facebook has been subjected to a 20-year consent decree with the FTC, which resulted in Facebook's requirement to have user consent before sharing their data, to establish a comprehensive privacy program, and to have a third party conduct audits of the program every two years for the next 20. And we learned that there are tens of thousands to millions of third-party apps that Facebook needs to investigate, which will take many months. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Feel free to tweet me at emmepadge or send me an email to submit dot at gmail.com. you can also visit the website and go to submit if you're able please go ahead and leave a review or rating on your podcast provider it helps a lot and i'm really enjoying hearing feedback honestly good or bad anything helps this podcast is a product of advanced topics and storytelling taught by dr bob king at university of north carolina school of the arts this episode was written and narrated by me i also produced it music is by matt carlson you can find him on instagram at matt carl sings Also, check out his other project at wilddomesticmusic.com. If you have suggestions for episode topics, please go to century21.blogspot.com. That's spelled out C-N-T-R-Y, number two, number one, dot blogspot.com, and go to submit. Thanks for listening.